0: Okay, Isaiah chapter nine, verse one. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice, righteousness, and righteousness from that time on and forever. And if you turn, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this, sorry. And if you turn with me to Luke chapter 2, and we'll read from verse 1. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Let's pray. Lord, as we open your word this morning, Lord, please help us to understand your word. Help us to understand why you came as a baby. Good Lord, help us to understand that is more than you just, you're just coming as a baby, but you were also the saviour of the world. Lord, I pray that you'll open Santa's mouth, that he will speak your words and open our hearts, that, you'll, that we will hear your words in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thanks, Kev, for leading us this morning. Morning Chapel Street. How are you all doing? good morning chapel street online too um just want to encourage us to continue to pray for jarvis and ashley as they head off it's a big thing from them they're out of their country they're out of their culture and they're in ours what could be worse (laughs) and it's not easy so they're going to a new place we do pray and i encourage you to continue to pray that they'll grow the young christians and that they'll plug into a good church Um, and we'll miss them of course Well, we're going to park a Luke for a while. Obviously, we've got a reading in Luke this morning, just so that we can consider um, the incarnation again, the birth of Jesus. And we do this every year, but in actual fact, we should be considering it all the time. And so we want to turn our attentions to that. It's a good thing to do because the world, by and large, at least the Western world, celebrates Christmas, but it doesn't celebrate the incarnation. It doesn't celebrate Christ. And what does the world make of Christmas? Well, just look around you. Plenty of food and feasting and drinking. There's plenty of overeating. I've been guilty of that one. Indulging in things that perhaps people wouldn't normally indulge in as presents, as traditions, the family traditions. There are lights. And there are trees and for some there are time off There's time off work but don't get me wrong as i get going here today i'm not the grinch <laughs> this afternoon evelyn and edmund are going to come around and we're going to put the tinsel on the trees and put the lights on and learn about the star and that's not a bad tradition perhaps but the world doesn't know what they're doing with those things there's no idea really what's going on in fact They've turned the nativity into a kind of mushy, sentimental thing. Ah, oh, the little baby born in a manger, in a stable, in this picture of loneliness, which is true, but it's just a kind of warm, fuzzy story of I don't know what, really, without Christ. And, of course, every town across Australia will celebrate Christmas, in one way or another, every town will have lights, not just lights necessarily in people's homes and outside, as we see Santa inflated. That's pretty ridiculous. And reindeer. What has that got to do with the Lord? But councils will put up trees and lights, and they'll even organise carols. It's very secular remembrance or celebration, perhaps, of Christmas. I spoke to. A chap this week i try to invite him and his family and his children to the carol service uh, on the 24th on, on uh, christmas eve and he said to me no no it's okay i'll be going to the carols at my children's school and i will have had all the carols i can take why would i want to come to your church and sing more and he was quite open about this and didn't have an issue with it and of course satan enjoys the fact that Christmas, by and large, has become very secular. He enjoys the mammon side of it, the commercialization side of it. It is, for him, a pagan celebration now. It is a pluralistic celebration. It doesn't matter what religion you come from, you can celebrate Christmas. And it is a plastic one. Plastic in the sense that it's fake. It's phony, but plastic also in a sense that it's fueled by money, it's fueled by credit in some way. Now, I don't know if this happened in Australia, you'll need to let me know, but certainly in the United Kingdom, I won't say Great Britain anymore, um, some years ago, probably 20 plus years ago, slogans started to appear on t-shirts referring to Christmas, and the first kind of catchy one, and I think it would started by the Uh, Royal Society for the Protection Against Cruelty for Animals, Cruelty to Animals, um, said puppies are for life, not for Christmas, not just for Christmas. I don't know if we had that here. It became a bit of a fad. People just started wearing these uh, t-shirts. It was a good kind of motif, right? I mean puppies are for life. You don't just buy them for Christmas and by Easter the puppies become a, a dog and the kids are not quite so enchanted with it and they get rid of it. But it didn't stop with puppies. It went from puppies to the king of pets, kittens, cats, just so you know, Um, God prefers them. No, he doesn't, he loves all his creatures. Um, Kittens are are for life, not just for Christmas. And then it got really absurd. Trees are for life, not just for Christmas. And the motif was, don't cut the tree down, and put a a, a real tree up that's just going to die, keep the tree and produce oxygen and they're good for the environment in other ways. Beer was the next one is for life, not just for Christmas. And then my favorite of all, one which I sympathised with, sprouts are for life, not just for Christmas. That's by the, the cabbage marketing board, I think. What surprises me about that there's no one goes around with a t-shirt and perhaps I should have one on that says Jesus is for life not just for Christmas Jesus is for eternal life not just Christmas starts there well it actually starts in the garden in uh, Eden or before the, the the world is created it's not puppies beer it's sentimentality it's Jesus that is for life and as one pastor put it Jesus is either completely excluded from Christmas and all you wind up is with his presents and pictures of peace and mushy sentimentality like puppies or Jesus is completely restricted to Christmas. And what you wind up with is Jesus is just for Christmas and not for life. Jesus is just for Christmas and not for eternal life. If you ask people today, well, what do you make of Christmas? People that don't know Christ and don't understand the things we're going to talk about now, they'll say all sorts of things. The one I hear often is, well, it's for family. It's all about family. and You can understand, you, why people would say that. Because families come together at Christmas by and large all about family or it's all about peace in the world wow don't see much of that it's all about presence it's all about traditions what does your family do we do have traditions there's nothing wrong with that the reason for this is people stopped didn't they at the birth of christ they stopped when jesus was in the manger No one asks, do they anymore? Why did this little baby come? (laughs) Why are we celebrating this? What was this all about? Why did he come in the first place? They stop at the manger, that nice scene of the baby in the stable with the animals. But Jesus goes from the manger to the man. He goes from the cradle to the cross. He goes from the cross to the grave. He rises again. Incarnation is the beginning of that picture, if you will. But we mustn't stop at the manger. We mustn't stop at the cradle in this amazing picture. This reality. I wonder what Christmas means to you. I hope I know what it means. But perhaps to some of you it means something different. It's a good time then, isn't it? To stop, to pause, to reflect. And you to consider again what the incarnation really is. Because the incarnation is a singular event. It's only going to happen once. God isn't going to be reincarnated. He was incarnated once. And he's still God, a man, Jesus. He's still God, a man, in Jesus. It's a singular event, just like creation was a singular event. It's like the death, burial, and resurrection was a singular event. You might wake tomorrow and think everything you do is a singular event. It isn't. (laughs) It isn't. It's one of the biggest experiences in the human history. It's one of the biggest experiences that you and I need to partake in. But I want to say more than that. I want to say it's actually one of, one of God's biggest experiences. He became a man. God became a man. It's his big experience. He has other experiences. Don't misunderstand me. I want you to consider it from his perspective. Think of it this way. The creator enters his creation. It's big, isn't it? Is that big? It's huge. What what can be bigger? The creator enters his creation
0: as a baby,
1: as an infant, to grow. We call this the incarnation. I want to say that if we miss the significance of the incarnation, then we won't really celebrate Christmas. It might just become all about the presents and the fun and the eating and so on. If we miss it, we won't celebrate Christmas. Christmas is the clue. Mass, mass, just means celebrate. That's all it means. Celebrate what? Christ, Christ, the Messiah. Christ, mass. We don't celebrate him. We're missing the point. So I've got one message. Uh, We're going to give it over two weeks. And it's just two questions. This week, we're going to try and answer the question, why did Jesus need to come as a man? Next week, I'm going to answer the question, why did Jesus need to come at all? And of course they're linked, without a doubt. So let's answer the very simple question: what is the incarnation? Well, the incarnation is literally the enfleshment of God. The Greek word for um, becoming flesh is ensarkos, literally in flesh dwelt amongst us in flesh you know what that's like don't you that's what you are you're in flesh. your spirit in flesh you're embodied literally an incarnation that's the latin version of ensarkos. carne means what you know chili con carne is chili with meat flesh that's what it is well here it's god incarnate the incarnation is literally God becoming a human. Not God in a human, right? I mean, God is in a human with Jesus, but that's not it. It's God as a human. God is a human. And guess what? He's still God. He's still fully God. He's still fully man. And he's still like that today. It's really important because we need to know that he was conceived of God. Not of man. The conception is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Who's the Holy Spirit? It's God. God doesn't conceive a man only in the, in, the, in the flesh, he conceives God in the flesh. It's complex, I know, but it's important that we know that Jesus isn't created. There are some religions that think that Jesus is just another part of. creation they claim to be christian it's not possible to be christian and believe that jesus is not part of the creation you know how we know that because he's the creator (laughs) he's the one that created all it is it's what the word says so how can he be part of the creation he's the one that stood outside it spoke and it came into existence so he's not created thing he's god as man. But he's different, isn't he? He's different to you. He's different to me. He's perfect. He's a perfect Adam. Hadam. Man, that's all that means. He's the perfect one. And that means he's sinless. And that's why he's conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because men born of men are just more sinful men this man is born of God so he's sinless it's critical to remember that the Westminster Shorter Catechism says this about him I think it puts it really nicely Christ Jesus the son of God became man by taking to himself a true body a true body and a reasonable soul human soul as well as his own spirit being conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary and born of her yet without sin. Do you think the incarnation is a big deal for God? Chapel Street? It's huge. I, I couldn't work out any other way to try and amplify it more. The word says it best. It's huge. And I hope it is for you too. I hope it is for us. So let's start. Let's answer our question for today. And the next question next week. Why did God need to come as a man? He might say, Well, he needed to atone for the sins of the world, and that would be right. You might say he needed to justify the Father through fulfilling the law, and that is right. You might say, Well, he needed to bring hope and salvation, and that is right. Say amen to all of those, wouldn't you? Amen. Question I'm asking is why did he need to come as a man? Why did he need to be a man to do these things? I mean, isn't he God? He's all powerful, he knows everything, he created everything. What why was he was he limited in some way? Why did he need to become a man? As a spirit, which God is prior to the incarnation, why couldn't he just solve this problem elsewhere? Well, I guess he could, but he chose not to. And I've got three reasons. I want us to just focus in on to answer this question. There's lots of reasons that that God became a man in Jesus. There's many more. But I want us just to focus in on three today to help us understand. The first one is that God became a man in Jesus Christ to identify with his people and to die. Two for the price of one there. He became a man in Jesus Christ to identify with his people and to die. And I'm not just talking about the Jews. I'm talking about those that would come to Christ. Whether they're Jews or Gentiles. He identifies with us. Because he's one of us. He's God. But he's found in appearance as one of you. It's one of me. A man. A woman. Well, it's not a woman. But a human being. He identifies then with our weaknesses. Anybody here feel weak at times? Or maybe all the time? Right? Life hard, struggles. He identifies with us in that he dies and tastes death. That's something, if we we're in Christ, we will die. We won't really taste death because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We believe in him. We do not die but live, even though we die, if that makes sense. Listen, uh, identification with people is a big deal. You do it. I do it all the time. And I was trying to think of a good example of this. Um, In our own culture, there are cultures that identify as specific ethnic groups. But I wanted to pick the king of all ethnic groups, the Scottish people. So I thought I'd use them as an example. And in Australia, I've written here, there's a lot of Aussie heritage that is Scottish. right? And there's nothing wrong with that, especially as I came here from Scotland. Some people in this region to identify as being Scottish, will go to Glen Innis at certain times, tartan on the, the, the poles and so on. And they'll celebrate the Scottishness. And they'll go together and say, well, "What clan are you from?" I'm from the McIntyre clan, or I'm from the MacDonald clan, or I'm from the Campbell clan and so on. And they will sing Scottish songs, and they will dance we call that a Cayleley. Scottish dancers, and they will eat Scottish food, which is fantastic, right? Haggis. Best, best thing you can eat, in my opinion. But worse than that, they will wear skirts, particularly the men, because they've got the dress tartan on or the field tartan on, and it looks great. What are they doing? They're identifying with their people. They're identifying with the historical, ancestral, ethnic group that they come from. From Scotland. We were made, were we not, in God's image? We bear something of God's image. And when God becomes a man in Christ Jesus, whose image does he bear? Yours. Yours, mine. He also bears God because he is God. So he becomes a man to identify with his people. It's a great poet, in my opinion, John Donne said in one of his uh, holy sonnets, it was much that God was made like man before, but that God should be made like man, it was much, much more. Get something of the incarnation just in those two little lines. He ate like us. He walked like us. He talked like us. He felt pain like us. He was tempted like us, but that's where things change, isn't it? Because we yield to temptation. But he didn't. As one theologian said, I remember reading a long time ago when you don't yield to temptation, it doesn't leave. It sticks with you, keeps tempting you. For us, when we yield, it goes away, at least for a little while, but then it comes back. It was sinless hard to conceive of that idea he was sinless he never had a a bad thought a bad thought not even a private bad thought c.s lewis uh, puts it in a very beautiful delicate way in terms of christ's um, vulnerability he says this god could if he wanted had he pleased have been incarnate in a man with an iron nerve. Strong man, that's what he said. The stoic sort who lets no sigh escape him. But of his great humility, he chose to be incarnate as a man of delicate sensibilities. Who wept at the grave of Lazarus. Who shed blood. sweaty blood. The Garden of Gethsemane. Otherwise, he says, we should have missed the all important help of knowing that he has faced all of what the weakest of us face. He has shared not only the strength of our nature, but the weakness within it, except without sin. Jesus was. God incarnate, made flesh so that he could identify with you, with me, so that he could die. God die? Can God die? Isn't God spirit? You're getting a sense then of why God became man flesh dies this is a fallen world would his flesh have died if he hadn't gone to the cross he's a perfect man hebrews more importantly says it like this since therefore the children share in flesh and blood he himself likewise partook of the same things in other words because you are flesh and blood christ became flesh and blood that through death couldn't die without being flesh through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that's the devil therefore as the writer goes on he jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become the merciful and faithful high priest in the service of god see we couldn't do it we couldn't be the merciful faithful high priest we couldn't obey the law that's what he's saying to make propitiation for the sins of the people for because he himself has suffered when tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted isn't that a word of encouragement you suffer when you're being tempted christ is able to help you because he suffered when he was tempted just didn't yield to it he could identify in with us in our weakness and he dies and tastes death. So one of the reasons that God became a man was to identify with his people and to die. Point number two, God became a man to reveal who God is. (laughs) He came to be a man to reveal his glory and his grace. And we're going to focus a little bit more on that next week. Just for now, it's just a simple idea, right? Just, Just to play with this. The idea is, and the word is manifest. It's a manifestation. It's a presence. It's a it's an, an image of something. Something appears. Jesus is a manifestation in the real sense of God, and so Jesus reveals God, what he's about, two he is, in a sense. Although there's a A picture of him managing, if you will, sovereignly controlling how that comes out in scripture. But in a sense, you can't really hide it. You can't. He did veil his majesty for a time. Jesus reveals. I want you to get that idea of revelation. Isn't that what this is? Reveals Jesus? Isn't that what this does? Reveals God? That's why we read it, isn't it? read it to become clever or theologically accurate well that's good to be theologically accurate we read it to see God someone was talking to me yesterday about learning to meditate on scripture and we were talking about how sometimes it's we make the focus of the meditation the word rather than God because the word's talking about God that's what it's, doing. it's talking about you Sam you're a sinner look at God That's what it's doing it's what the Holy Spirit wrote it that's what the Holy Spirit's about so we meditate on scripture we should be meditating on who God is That's why we need to know it and let it dwell in us richly. Listen to John 1 again. Kev read it for us earlier, but in particular, verses 14 through 17. The word, which is Jesus Christ, the the logos, became flesh. There it is, en sarcos. The word became in flesh and dwelt amongst us. Kev brought that out beautifully. And then John says this and we have seen his glory we've seen the glory of God because the word became flesh and he says this the glory as of the only son from the father listen full of grace and truth that's what john saw in jesus grace and truth god's glory for the from his fullness We've all received grace upon grace. For the law, he says, was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the revelation of God, the revealing of God. One of my favorite passages on this is is a passage that we probably all know really well. It's from Romans 1, verse 16 following. I want you, you can turn there maybe if you've got a moment just to hear it again in terms of the revelation that Jesus Christ is. And I'll sort of interject with myself as I go through it. The Apostle Paul says, listen, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Let's pause right there. Not ashamed of the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel is God's the creator. He's incarnated in Jesus Christ, the man. He lives a holy and obedient life unto death even death on the cross for the sin of the world to fulfill the law to be an atoning sacrifice for people he was dead he was buried on the third day he rose again from the dead and appeared revealed himself to everyone so that's what paul's talking about when he says gospel keep that in your head incarnation i'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of god to save everyone who believes the jew first but also the Greek. And then he says something super profound. He says this, for in it, for in what? For in the gospel, right? For in the incarnation, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the second coming, for in that the righteousness of God is revealed. It's just one of the things that the cross of Christ does. It reveals that God is righteous. You might say, Well, how does that work? Well, he's punishing sin. I said, but hang on a second, Sam. You told me that Jesus was sinless. Yeah, what was He doing there? He shouldn't have been there, should He? Well, He's doing it for you, for your sin. He's paying the price for your. Sin. That's that's the whole thing. Do you begin to see the revelation of God in Jesus Christ? For for in it, the right for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written the righteous man shall live by faith not by deeds by faith. And then He says something more amazing. For the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth by their unrighteous deeds. What's being revealed by Jesus Christ. Righteousness and wrath. Righteousness and wrath. Jesus reveals much more than that about who God is. But that's a good place to start. So god became a man to identify with his people and die god became a man to reveal his glory and grace and his righteousness and his wrath we could go on and on grace mercy peace compassion uh, redemption reconciliation think of all that that's what he's revealing i'm reconciling god and lastly god became a man so he could be born under the law which is very important I'll dwell on this a bit more God became a man in Christ Jesus so that he could be born under the law. It's crucial to get this right and understand this. Jesus isn't really coming to do great works and mighty deeds in terms of miracles. He does. He has to. He's compassionate. The Bible says that. He had compassion on so-and-so, and therefore he healed them. He had compassion on so He couldn't help it, right? He's God. There's another revelation of the character of God, but that's not his primary aim. Jesus' primary aim is to fulfill the law. That's his goal, to fulfill the law, to make sure that God really is just, to vindicate God's righteousness. I say, well, hang on. He came to save me. What do you mean, Sam? Well, that's right. He did come to save you, but that's how he did it, right? By <laughs> paying the price, by vindicating God's law. He says it. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law, you Jews, right? I didn't come here to get rid of it, to annul it, to wipe it out. Say, oh, it doesn't matter. If I did that, I'd say God is a liar, right? I didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets. I came to fulfill the law. To fulfill the law. How do you do it? Walked a sinless, perfect, obedient, God-glorifying life. Jesus is all about his father. Read John. I, I'm not here to do my will. I'm here to do the will of the father. Father, 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 father. Glory to the father. God the father and the spirit give glory to the son. That's how the Trinity starts to work in our minds. Dying on the cross, the sins of the world, redeeming us from the results of sin. Couldn't we fulfill the law? <laughs> why didn't we, you know, couldn't we make this happen? Well, let's just consider for a second what the law is. Well, you might say to me, well, the law is just a set of rules. You know, a Bunch of rules. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. And that's right. To some extent, the law is much more than that in terms of um, purification and, and things like that. Let's ask the question, where does the law come from? You invent the law? You might think that. You might think society invented the law, thou shalt not kill. Isn't that in there? Do you anyone think murder is okay? Really? The law comes from God. The law emanates from God. It comes from his character. It's a description, if you will, of what he has always been. Holy what the law is it's holy what does it demonstrate to us that we're not that he is and we're not we're something less very much less than that it brings forth a fruit the law but the fruit is rotten the fruit is sin i want you to understand that god therefore as he gives the law what he does he gives the lord of moses the people of israel he's above it because he's holy because it emanates from him he's above the law you ever heard the phrase no one is above the law Uh -uh. god is above the law nobody else (laughs) he's above it he gives it and we are what we're below it we're below it it's above us as a form of judgment that is coming Because none of us, none of us
0: lived a sinless life, except for one man.
1: But when the fullness of time had come, says Paul in Galatians, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, listen, born under the law what for he tells us to redeem those who were under the law (laughs) right you see why jesus became a man he needed to sit under the law because that's where the judgment is that's where he's going to get judged even though he did nothing wrong so that we might receive adoption as sons the bible says that the power of sin is the law no law no sin right the law describes what sin is it describes what holiness is and it brings a curse brings a curse the bible teaches that the law curses mankind because no one can attain holiness by observing the law because no one can observe the law and so we need sacrifices it's a whole Old testament sacrificial system to atone for another day for another year for the people that disobeyed god again and so people are under a curse. You cannot get out of it. I don't want to quote any famous pop bands, I don't think that's appropriate, but there's one line from one who was, was a poet who said, the thing about life is no one gets out alive. I want to say to that person, actually, the thing about life is everyone dies, and they find out you've either got real life or the worst life there is, eternity in hell. It's a curse. You can't get out of it. And the Bible makes this really plain. It's Galatians again. To try and explain how some people have tried to rely on the law. We can think of so-called modern Christian groups that think that's okay. It's not. He says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Cursed be everyone who doesn't abide by the law, right? That's everyone. For the righteous man shall live by faith. We've heard that in Romans already. But the law is not a faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us, brought us out of, brought us back from the curse of the law. Oh, this is great, isn't it? How did he do it? Well, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He couldn't do that if he wasn't under the law, right? If he's above the law, how could he be cursed? He wasn't there to judge him. say again, but Sam, he didn't sin. I know, I know. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For as it is written, listen, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree on the cross. I think that's Deuteronomy. I didn't check that.
0: Can a spirit hang on a tree?
1: needs a body. To hang on this, you need a body. To be crucified, you need a body. You need to sit under the law and be judged accordingly. In this case... It's a body that never sinned if that doesn't draw some kind of compassion from you i don't know what will if you see the incarnation and look at the cross and say why did you die for me you didn't need to die for anyone i wanted to uphold the law i wanted to uphold the value and righteousness and holiness of the father and i wanted to save you and you can't do it because you're under a curse so i became a curse for you instead it needs a body listen That's how Jesus fulfilled the law. That's how he did it. I came not to abolish it, but to fulfill it on the cross. That's why the incarnation is so important. That's why at Christmas, we shouldn't stop at the baby Jesus in a manger. We should constantly go back here from creation and look to the second coming. God became a man to identify with his people and die. God became a man to reveal his glory and grace. And God became a man so that he could be born under the law to die. You inspired by the incarnation this year? Are you? You say yes. <laughs> I was. I mean, I had to try and, God had to try and work something through me to understand this. I was like, wow, incarnation is so big. It really is. You know, Right up until the 1960s, the Presbyterian Church of Scotland, in Scotland, it's obviously international, didn't celebrate Christmas. I and mean, some people weren't happy with that. <laughs> they didn't celebrate, they didn't have a day off. They didn't say you know, 23rd of December, which isn't when Jesus was born anyway, but we know why that was placed there. They didn't say, well, that's the day, it's the national day of holiday. it's not because they were scortish and very mean and tight and need to keep working it's because and if you speak to anyone of that era they'll tell you every day's Christmas we need to learn to celebrate the incarnation every day not just once a year without it you'd be cursed without it you'd be subject to the law without it you'd have no hope no salvation and God's law wouldn't have been fulfilled so I hope you're inspired by it so let me ask you this as we close. Where will you stand this Christmas? Where will you stand? You know, will you stand in the world amongst the people that don't get this cute little baby Jesus in the manger? Where will you stand? Is it going to be about families? Is it going to be about presents for you? I hope not. You shouldn't be with family and exchange presents. People with little kids, Dave and Bryony and um, what's your name, Lucy and Jarrett. Sorry, Lucy. They got little kids. They're gonna they're gonna give presents to them, and the kids are gonna go. This is great. Life's awesome. The other day I had a birthday. Now they give me presents at this thing called Christmas. They're also gonna say, "This is a reminder of the present and the gift that was given to us. The greatest gift." God himself incarnate. Where will you stand? Will you stand in the death of Christ? Will you mentally stand in the stable? Will you mentally stand before the cross? Look up and say, why? Why me? Why did you do this for me? Will you stand in the death of Christ? In Christ alone, who took on flesh. Fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones He came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, sorry, till on that cross He bled and died, the wrath of God was. Satisfied, the law was fulfilled. Here in the death of Christ, I stand. To close, I'd just like to ask us all to stand, if you wouldn't mind. We're going to sing in a moment. I just want to read a piece of scripture to us and then I'll pray. Just reflect again on the incarnation and the significance of it for us and for God. suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased And when the angels went away from them into heaven the shepherds said to one another hey let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us and so they went with haste And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they heard And all they had seen as it had been told to them. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, I thank you so much that your word reveals who you are through your son. Father, I thank you that your son thought it not robbery to be found equal to you because he is you. He is equal to you and yet emptied himself. He found man who was obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross, even the curse that he became for us. Your word says, Lord, so you highly exalted him and you gave him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, at the name of this man, at the name of this baby, you would get praise and glory and honor lord would you help us this year this christmas to be quickened around the beauty and the majesty and the awesomeness of the incarnation lord would you help us this christmas to share that with our kids with our families with our mums and dads and our our siblings and lord with others that just think it's a party pray these things in jesus name amen